Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while you're waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. This is a special series, a field guide for Christian leaders. We're reaching back over 1,500 years to bring you a leadership classic from St. Gregory the Great, a week-by-week look at timeless wisdom from the past. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Book 2, Chapter 6, Humility and Zeal. Leadership is full of traps and pitfalls. And one of the biggest traps we face is our own pride. Our pride is sneaky, and it finds ways to feed itself while still looking humble. Leaders have to hold the line against pride. First, in their own life, but here's the hard part, also in the lives of others. And that brings us to this. And now, the Lexeme of the day. Zeal. We don't use the word zeal very often in day-to-day life, but maybe we should. Zeal is nothing more than tireless commitment to accomplishing a goal or seeking an outcome. To be zealous is to be the person who demonstrates that tireless commitment. In the words of Winston Churchill, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense, never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. So... Let's see what Gregory has to say. The Field Guide for Christian Leaders Be a humble companion of people who live well, but be zealous and strong against the vices of evildoers. The leader should be guided by both humility and zeal. A humble companion to those who live life in ways that honor God, and through zeal and commitment to God, stand firm against the vices of evildoers. Here's what that looks like. Favor the company of other godly people over yourself. That's humility. Just don't forget who you are and the work that you are called to. You have to walk that line of waiving your rank and considering others as your equals. But you may have to step up and correct bad character, bad attitudes, and bad behavior. Don't let your humility get in the way of that. In my book about morals... I mentioned that nature produced all men equal, but by variations in merits and their actions, some rise and sin puts some lower. Those differences are the result of vice and corruption and has been ordered by divine judgment. Since we do not all stand on an equal footing, God has determined that one should be ruled by another. If you lead others, do not be impressed by the authority of your rank, but seek to use your rank to do others good. Our ancient fathers were not called kings of men, but shepherds of flocks. When the Lord said to Noah and his children, Increase and multiply and replenish the earth, he added that all the beasts of the earth will fear and dread you. Therefore, it seems that though we strike fear into the beasts, it is forbidden that we strike terror into other people. Nature prefers man over the beast, but not one person over another. To wish to be feared by one's equal is to be proud 
against nature. Yet it's important for rulers to be feared by their subjects when their subjects do not fear God. People may learn to dread repercussions from others, even though they have no fear of God's judgment, and sin can be reined in. Seeking this kind of fear is not from pride, because they are seeking the righteousness of those that they lead, and not their own glory. If those who live corrupt lives fear the ruler, it is because they are more beasts than men, and they ought to be subdued to that dread. It's too common that a ruler, because of his leadership over others, gets puffed up and self-impressed. He has credibility, and his edicts are quickly carried out, and his followers proclaim that all he has done, he has done well. Those followers have no ability to address anything the leader has done wrongly, and it becomes a vicious cycle. Eventually, the followers praise even actions that they should rebuke. The leader's ego continues to grow. He surrounds himself with people who will not only praise him, um, and he loses his inward sense of truth. He believes what others say about him, rather than what he knows to be true about himself. He quits serving others and looks down on them. He stops seeing others as his equals and believes that he is above it all. He assumes that he's wiser than anyone else or he would not be their leader. He begins to look down on people who are at his same level and then on those that are above him. He becomes a terror to those under him and aspiring to be like the Most High, he finds his downfall within himself all the while priding himself that he has reached the summit of power. Finally, he is like that fallen angel who disdains all but himself. King Saul began with the merit of humility, but became overblown with pride at the height of his powers. When he was humble, he found God's favor. When he was proud, he was rejected. As the Lord stated, when you were little in your own sight, did I not make you the head of the tribes of Israel? 1 Samuel 15, 17. He saw himself with humility, but after he tasted power, his pride overtook him. Because of the power God had given him, he put himself above all, and his status with God fell. It's common when our ego gets a boost from all the people telling us how amazing we are, that we wind up corrupted by our pride, and we use our power to pander to our own desires. If we want to order this power well, we need to know how to maintain it and keep it in check. We need to know how to tower over sin without towering over others. We must remember that we are no different, no better than others. We are equal. This is our problem, though. Our minds are eager to exalt themselves and willingly do so without any outside support. When our minds have the support, the authority, it makes the situation worse. It's easy to become over-impressed with ourselves and take advantage of others. If we want to handle authority and power correctly, we have to balance what is helpful while rejecting whatever tempts us. We must see ourselves as equal to others and put ourselves out of the reach of sin. That must be our driving motivation. This is not an easy distinction to understand or to live out. Let's go to the example of our first pastor, Peter. He received from God the authority of the Holy Church, and when Cornelius fell down before him to worship him, Peter responded, Stand up, for I too am a man. 
Acts 10, verse 26. But when the sin of Ananias and Sapphira is made known to him, he demonstrates the power that God had given to him. He rebuked them and ended their lives. This brought literally the fear of God to those who learned of it, and he retained his humility. Though he was chief against sins in the early church, in the first case, he lived out his holiness by demonstrating his equality. In the second case, he lived out his holiness by avenging sin. In both cases, he was exercising his claim to the authority that was granted to him. Paul, too, refused to raise himself over the faithful in the church when he said, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. And he went on to remind them that to stand firm in the faith. In other words, when you stand by faith, and so do we, we don't have dominion over your faith, but we joyfully work with you. Paul was humble when he said we were gentle among you, and we are your servants for Jesus' sake. But when he found a fault that needed correcting, he did not bail out, but he showed himself to be a ruler, saying, What do you want? Should I come at you with a rod? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21. The true ruler is well-ordered when he lords it over vices rather than over others. There are times when sin has to be addressed and failures corrected. In those cases, it must be carefully considered how far to go. How can we provide discipline while not losing sight of our love for the person that we're correcting? In our hearts, we must care about them more than we care about ourselves. While they receive our discipline, we have to remember that so many of our own sins are not touched by any rebuke or correction. The Lord sees that we often sin unpunished, even while we are correcting others and helping them to avoid divine retribution. Humility with disciplined action should mark our lives. In our hearts, we have to stay humble, but not so humble that we relax the rules for others. If we lower ourselves too much, we forget our responsibility and lose the ability to help others to live godly lives. We give up the ability to discipline them and help restrain them from sin. This requires us to do a lot of work. Outwardly, we must hold ourselves to the same standards to which we hold others. Inwardly, we have to be fearful in how we see ourselves. The people who follow should see something to be feared and respected in our authority and something to be acknowledged and respected in our humility. This must be our constant effort. The more authority and influence we have, the more it must be controlled internally. The more value we place on ourselves, the more we are at risk of having our pride overwhelm our reason. If you are delighted by your personal power, you may find that your heart can get carried away and the mind will not be able to control it. A wise man once said, they've made you a leader. Don't lift yourself up, but be among them as one of them. So Peter also said, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so Jesus, the truth in person, says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus points out that there will be punishment for leaders who are swept up in their own pride. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour that he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 28, verses 48 through 51. It is right that he winds up with the hypocrites. He used the pretense of doing good as a cover for domination. That's not always the end of it. Sometimes leaders will maintain good relationships with corrupt people, the very people that they ought to be correcting and discipling. Consider Eli, who would not discipline his sinful sons. God judged him and his sons with the fearful words, I am about to punish this house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. The reason was, as God said, Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? The Lord also spoke through the prophet to rebuke the shepherds who ruled God's people. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Ezekiel 34.4 The missing ones are brought back, and anyone who has fallen into sin is restored to a state of righteousness. As a cast helps a fracture heal, so discipline subdues sin. You wouldn't let a wounded person bleed out because you were unwilling to dress and bind the wound. So why would you let someone descend deeper and deeper into sin because you didn't want to offend them or call them to account? We discipline those who need it, not out of cruelty, but out of love and compassion. Those of us that are in a leadership role have to demonstrate mother love in our kindness and father love in discipline. The discipline must not be too rigid, and the kindness must not be too lax. We need both discipline and compassion. The compassion must be just and considerate, and the discipline must be affectionately severe. When the Samaritan brings the half-dead man to the inn in Luke 10.34, he applies wine to cleanse the wound and oil to soothe it. The wine causes pain so that what is festering can be cleaned up, and the oil soothes the wound and helps the wine to do its work. We need a mix of gentleness and severity, not too much or too little of either. According to the words of Hebrews 9, 4, the, in the Ark of the Covenant, there were the tablets of the law written on them, but there was also a rod and manna. This shows that with the knowledge of Scripture in our hearts, there should be both the rod of discipline and the sweetness of manna. As David said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. With the rod we are corrected, and with the staff we are supported. If we correct sinners, the rod, we also need to comfort and support them, the staff. We must show love without creating anxiety. We must show vigor without exasperating. We must show zeal but not fury. We must show pity, but not laxness. Justice and mercy need to be blended together to lead well. Soothe the hearts of your people through fear, and use that fear 
to build their reverence toward God. And now, it's time to stand before the Mirror of Truth. There it is, Book 2, Chapter 6. It was a bit long this time, so I'll leave it at that, but I will ask you to look at your own heart. Have you figured out how to have outrageous zeal along with outrageous humility? Ponder that for a while. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. The paraphrase of St. Gregory's work, along with supporting content, was developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson. As always, our sound engineer is Brick Martin. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. And the closing music is from Javier Cugat, Brazil. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Stay with us on this. We're eagerly awaiting your next visit to Great Ridge Station.